welcome to episode 130 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 21st of June, 2021. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Evening. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. So it's the 21st of June, the summer solstice, and it is pissing down and freezing cold. What happened to being too hot, eh? <laughs> it's lovely and sunny over here in the EU, I must tell you. <laughs> the sunlit uplands. Yeah. Right, well, before we get started, I want to plug our Fuss Talk Live show. So that is on YouTube now, standalone, so it's just our show, as well as the whole event, if you want to see that. But we'll link to our show, and we definitely don't want to get slightly more views than the Ubuntu podcast or anything. That'd be a shame. Yeah, we definitely don't want and more likes and stuff. So link in the show notes, check it out. And I would like to just very quickly say what good fun it was. Um, I don't think any of us were convinced that it was going to go smoothly and that it was going to be as good as the um, you know in-person event, but it was great. It was really enjoyable. The whole thing went together really well, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, agreed. Mostly thanks to Wimpress and uh, Marius Quarbeck doing all the work, and uh, I was just turning up getting pissed and following the link and you know, having a laugh. Yeah, I've since fixed my Nintendo DS, by the way. I uh, I opened it up and just changed a small fuse on the PCB and it's working. Oh. Yeah, so that's good. I need to put Linux on there now. I've got many recording contracts being sent in to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as is Graham as well. He's joining the Chemical Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jean, Jean-Michel Jarre's backup. Yeah. Apex triplet. <laughs> Let's take the piss out of Microsoft then and how their Linux repositories were down for over 18 hours. So this was packages.microsoft.com and that is basically everything vaguely Linuxy from them. So all the WSL distros, things like Teams for Linux, just all of the Linuxy stuff and they managed to have it go down for 18 hours. That is not good, is it? No, they must be running it on Microsoft servers. That's all I could think. Yeah, must be Windows Server on it all. It makes you think that maybe they're not quite as serious about this Linux thing as they'd let on. I don't know. Maybe it's become so hugely popular that they've been surprised by the scale of it. I mean, I mean, the first thing that I thought when you were reading that out was if somebody from just like 10 years ago was listening to this podcast having heard nothing and you talking about Microsoft's Linux distro hosting services being down for 18 hours, people would go, what? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's pretty amazing in itself. But yeah, this happens. It happens. It's happened to nearly everyone. So I, I don't know if I'm too surprised. If it happened again, maybe then that is disappointing. I mean, GitHub has been up and down, you know, the last 12 months. That's had a bit of a rocky road recently. But then as they've said in their own blog post, they have billions of requests every single day. Maybe it's a sign of the Linux distro popularity on Microsoft servers. I wonder, do they know about Nagios.org at Microsoft? <laughs> they could uh, install an instance in their Azure cloud. Well, I just thought it'd be funny to laugh at Microsoft anyway. But yeah, that, it's depressing in a way, the point you've made there, Graham, that maybe it's just because it is so popular that they just couldn't handle it. And now they'll shore it all up and make sure it doesn't happen again. It was supposed to be good news for you, failing, but apparently not, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Right, so Tim Berners-Lee has officially jumped the fucking shark. <laughs> I think we can all agree on this. He is selling the source code for the original World Wide Web stuff as a fucking NFT. And yes, the money might be going to charity and whatever, but he's doing this via Sotheby's and bringing a lot of credibility to the whole just 
fucking ridiculous thing that is NFTs. Graham, try and defend this one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Graham. Yeah, quite right. I thought it was really interesting that it was like less than 10,000 lines of code. Can I say that? That was really good. Um, and, I, and I like the... Um, I'm pretty impressed by the way that Sotheby's have got... Is it like uh, Askinema playing the source code being typed and presented? Oh, I can't support this. I, I know that I've defended NFTs and I kind of defended it for its role in helping creative people sell unique pieces of art. But I... You know, I think that's interesting from a technology perspective. I've, it's awful the way that it's being used. And this, I, I have to agree with you. I can't, I can't support it. I can't even play devil's advocate and say that this is right because he is promoting something that ultimately 99% of the time or even more than that is going to be used unethically and be used to sell pyramid schemes and scam people. Yeah. And it's bringing legitimacy to it. And it's just, what's he playing at? I'd like to complain about the fact that he uses a lot of single character ver- variable names, which I find really, really <laughs> awkward. But he comments them really well, so why don't you just give it a decent variable name, for fuck's sake? The fact that they've had to stuff the lot with not only the source code, but this ridiculous animated visualisation of the code being written, which, as Graham says, is just an ASCII cinema, and as an SVG representation of the full code. It's like a James Bond plot where somebody has actually kidnapped Sir Tim Berners-Lee. <laughs> <laughs> What's this in the code? Help, I'm being held prisoner <laughs> in a code factory. I do like the description of it, though, how they're talking about uh, physical artefacts such as books you can uh, quantify and prove rarity. But with digital stuff, that's been really hard until now, thanks to NFTs. And... I mean, I know that it is uh, Sotheby's job to try and sell this for as much as possible, but just the whole thing just ugh, just reeks of just bullshit. Why does it matter that it was written on the next computer, and why do we have to hear about Steve Jobs in a thing about the World Wide Web and Tim Berners-Lee? That's what's really pissed you off, eh? <laughs> it has, but it's, like, it's so irrelevant. Like It's like, well, what type of paper did he have in his printer? Like? <laughs> <laughs> On to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. And check out Late Night Linux Extra 24. I got together with Chris and Gary. Gary, who's a DevOps engineer, and Chris, who you've heard on this show talking about Chromebooks, And we talked about how we got into Linux in the first place and what would be different these days if you got into Linux. And it was a good discussion. So I'll link that in the show notes late night, Linux Extra 24. And also, DevNull and the Kernel Panics is a band. Now, they are all sysadmins. And their gimmick is that they only play songs from before the start of Unix time. So (laughs) only stuff up to the end of the 60s, essentially. And they've played various events like Og Camp and stuff. Um, and they asked me to drum for them. And I said, well, I just don't have time for that. Sorry. But I said I'd give them a shout out on the show. So we'll put a link to their website, which is on GitHub, which is quite interesting. And um, it's devnull and the kernel panics at gmail.com if you want to email them. Um, basically, they are based around London. So they said, we're looking for an additional drummer based in London or the surrounding counties who can join the band and can rehearse in South or Southwest or Southeast London. So I don't know why they don't like North London, but... uh <laughs> 
some good rehearsal studios in North London. They're really missing the trick there. Anyway, so yeah, if you're around London-ish and fancy being in a good, fun band, then uh, get in touch with them. And How many drummers do they need? Additional drummer? <laughs> I know, additional drummer. That's, so many questions. Yeah. Maybe they've got a drum machine? I don't know. Who knows? But uh, yeah, link in the show notes anyway. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux and see why Linode has been voted the top infrastructure as a service provider by both G2 and Trustradius. From their award-winning support offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. Linode offers great price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including GPUs, as well as block storage, Kubernetes, and their upcoming bare metal release. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable, allowing you to focus on your projects, not your infrastructure. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account with your Google or GitHub account or your email address, and you'll get $100 in credit. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. Right, so as you will have gathered, the news was a little bit light over the last couple of weeks, so there's only a few stories to take the piss out of people. But fear not, dear listener, because... As part of our Fast Talk Live show, we did the spinning wheel of Mare, which had loads of questions for us, and we ended up with a load of questions left over. So I thought, why not answer them on this show? There'll be no fancy spinning wheel, but uh, I'll ask the questions anyway. So the first one is, name a good thing about GNOME, Plasma, XFCE, Pulse Audio, Arch, Ubuntu, Debian, and Fedora. This could be a long one. So, uh, Phelim, as Gnome is the first thing, you've got to name one good thing about Gnome. It keeps all those botherers who just want to control everything in one place and out of my way. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, name a good thing about Plasma. Plasma, right. Um, Jesus Christ, I've actually fucking blanked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's the answer. <laughs> yeah, all right, okay, that'll do for that. XFCE, name one good thing about it. Oh, uh, it's just to keep you happy, Joe. <laughs> okay, Pulse Audio. It is nice to have multi-channel audio doing all sorts of stuff when it works. Okay, Arch. I mean, Gentoo had to go somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Ubuntu. Uh, there's the support. Okay, okay. Debian. Oh, God, I mean, it's... The, the core OS of all. All right. And Fedora. Again, those botherers can stay over there and do their own thing. <laughs> all right. Will, what's the good thing about Gnome? I think the concept is in the right place. Um, I think that that unified design and somebody being in charge of design and having a, uh, a very strongly held belief about what's right is, is a good thing. I'm not saying that they're right. I'm just saying I think it's a good idea. Okay. Plasma? I like the fact that it just continues to evolve. It changes in subtle ways and things improve over time and um, they don't seem to throw the baby away with the bathwater. Okay. XFCE? Oh, well, it's fast. It's, it's the Windows XP of Linux as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, okay. Pulse Audio? Uh, I think the same as failing, right? Software mixing has bought that level of flexibility that just didn't exist before. Okay. Arch? Probably the wiki. I think that's the best thing about Arch. Oh, good answer. Good answer. Ubuntu? Quality. And it, well, really, it changed the direction of Linux desktop forever, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, agreed. Debian? 
apt best package manager ever. Mm, mm, well, we'll see about that. Uh, I may disagree with you when I get to answer Fedora. Uh, it's got the might of Red Hat behind it, and that gives it a certain level of stability. Right, fair enough. Right, Graham, your turn then. Gnome. Okay, so Gnome, I really like the way certain UI elements have been tucked into the title bar of Windows. I think it's a beautiful look. I really like it. I wish uh, Plasma had it. Okay, Plasma? I think configured properly, it's the best-looking, most functional computer desktop that you can have. Okay, XFCE? <laughs> Very similar to Will. I do use XFCE on Raspberry Pi when I boot them up and I need to have a desktop, especially over VNC. Fair enough. Pulse Audio? Yeah, syncs and plugs. You can plug anything anywhere you want it. So it's complicated, but if you you know you know what you want, you can usually get it out of Pulse Audio. Okay, Arch. I think we know the answer to this one. Well, yeah, I mean, Wiki is brilliant, but it has to be the AUR. Oh, right. Okay. That's not what I thought you were going to say. Oh. Uh, you've left me an answer, which is good. Okay, so Ubuntu? It's because it was the first distro to reach critical user mass, and that means when you Google that problem, somebody's already solved it on the internet, and you can find the answer, and that's the most important thing for new users to Linux, and Ubuntu became that. Yeah. Debian? Linux wouldn't be Linux without knowing that Debian is always there. It's it's like the backbone of a lot of our favorite distros, and it continues to be. Yeah, the universal operating system. Yeah. Fedora? I think Fedora keeps Ubuntu honest. Right, yeah. So for me, GNOME, the simplicity, I think, is a good thing about it. It's not necessarily for me, but it's simple. It's not that configurable. You can just guarantee that it's going to be the same no matter who packages it, pretty much, with a few little exceptions. Plasma, it's got to be the configurability. Just the, It's the opposite of GNOME. Like What makes it good is you can make it anything you want if you're willing to put the time in. XFCE, I mean, it's just the best balance of speed and practicality and usability and customizability it's not quite as customizable as plasma but it's much more than gnome it it just is the like goldilocks uh, desktop environment for me it's just right pulse audio the fact that it nowadays just works generally speaking and you just don't have problems with it and if you really look back to the days before pulse audio it was a bit of a shit show compared to where we are now which is why we're now introducing Pipewire. <laughs> exactly. Perfect time to just upend it all, yeah. Arch has got to be just the freshness of the software. That's what I thought you were going to say, Graham, that you can get the latest versions of any bit of software you want. And if it's not in the repo, you've got the AUR. So somewhat piggybacking on yours there. Ubuntu, I mean, just everything about it, it's, it's just the best base for a distro, whether that is a server or a desktop. And, you know, if you like GNOME, then Ubuntu Desktop. If you like Plasma, then Kubuntu or Neon. Or like I like Ubuntu. It just, to me, is just the perfect distro to base stuff on. And Debian is the perfect distro to base the perfect distro on, I suppose. That's the best thing about it. And Fedora, I think the best thing about that is DNF, because I disagree that Apt is the best package manager. Uh, I think that DNF is incredibly intuitive. It seems to be a little bit faster to me, and it just works really, really well. And so I would happily use DNF on Ubuntu. I mean, I'm happy enough with Apt as well, but uh, I think DNF is a great package manager. Right, that was a long one. So <laughs> let's do a bit of a shorter one. What is your greatest Linux frustration? 
generally the unfair comparison that you get now this is not linux's fault but it's the unfair comparison that it gets compared to proprietary software so you know i've said it before and say it again you do a project you roll out a fos version it has to be able to do everything that they didn't ask for and 10 10 other things whereas you know microsoft can fuck up yet again and uh you know just is what it is and they carry on and gladly pay way more money for that so i just the unfair comparison, I think, you're not a level playing field on either funding for projects or expectations either. Yeah, it sort of ties in with my answer to this, which is just the lack of certain very specific bits of software. I'd love for Reason to be available. I'd love for Pro Tools to be available, but it's just not. And so I still need Windows for doing music stuff. On the desktop, it is the lack of a concerted effort towards a sort of shared goal. The entire community just split into factions and there's infighting and moaning about the the other people and how everybody else does it wrong and that is just a huge waste of effort and energy and achieves nothing and without that we could go a lot further so maybe this doesn't answer the question exactly but this is my honest first thought with this question um my greatest linux frustration is really the sense of entitlement some members of the linux community have I know that we get this across the internet with kind of every single area now, but people who maybe have contributed very little, if anything at all, kind of criticizing and, and causing trouble, um, and basically causing projects to close for no other good reason than they don't like it or they don't like the way that it's going. Okay. This is a very simple one. Android or iOS? Android. Yes, obviously. <laughs> mm. Will you use iOS? So presumably that's your answer. It is, um, partly because I can't be bothered to learn a new way of doing things, but also because I don't trust the major Android vendors. Put differently, I trust Apple with my data, and I trust Apple to do a better job of protecting me from malware and all of that sort of stuff than I do, for example, Samsung. The fappening. Yeah. Well, that was, uh, well, as far as I know, it wasn't me, but as far as I know, that was people breaking in or guessing passwords for cloud accounts. So Apple, you know, I don't, iCloud accounts. Let's let's be uh, specific here. Yeah, and it was brute forcing them as well, is my understanding. I'm not sure 100% on that, but I don't think it was just guessing it. I think it was poor practice by Apple to not block brute forcing attempts. All right, well, enjoy your cross-app tracing and all of that sort of stuff then. <laughs> We will. Good. <laughs> Graham, you have got an Android phone, so I, but you've got an iPad as well, haven't you? I have. And, I, you know, I used an iPhone for years, interviewed Linus Torvalds with an iPhone. Um, I'm going to say Android, but I think what Will says is valid. Um, I probably, if I was to recommend a phone platform to a stranger, I would recommend Apple for terms of privacy and security. But for me, if there was only two phones for the rest of the, my life, then it would have to be Android. I just have to be able to install stuff outside of their app store. Um, I really do. I don't want to be beholden to Apple's walled garden on my phone. Well, in a year or two, you probably will be able to, thanks to Epic. I don't know if it'll go that way. Mm, it'll be very interesting to see. My answer is obviously Android. I've used iOS, and I think that for my parents, for example, my mum used an Android phone for years and had she got on relatively well with it, but then went to an iPhone and just has never looked back. But then you've got the fact that you just have to 
buy a really expensive phone when it breaks. Whereas, you know, you could buy an expensive Android phone or you could buy a very cheap Android phone and you've got much more choice there. Whereas basically all iPhones are expensive and iPads and all the rest of it. And I have been recently trying out iPad OS and that's basically iOS and it's just fucking horrible. Nothing makes sense with it. The notifications are a disaster. The accuracy of the touchscreen is shit. I don't know if that's the hardware or software, who knows. Just little stuff, right? Stick it in airplane mode because you want to disconnect Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and you want to connect Bluetooth to a different device. But leave an app that requires network open, then unlock it and go to try and swipe to put airplane mode off. And there's a pop-up box that stops you saying, hey, you need to connect to the internet. Yeah, no shit. That's what I'm trying to do. Fuck you, Apple. So, uh, yeah, so anyway, suffice to say Android is my answer there because it's just a deeply frustrating experience to use an iPad. So 9 out of 10 for Apple then, yeah? (laughs) I quite like it. I think, I do think they've got some things really right in that space. I mean, the multitasking, I think it's done quite well. I don't know what they call it, the sidebar you slide in from the right where you can put kind of their, their adaptive UI that they've got for the phone and the iPad works really well when you have these small narrow columns on the right. You can push Telegram out of the way, for example, and the split screen works better than on Android, I've found. And the multitasking are generally better, but unfortunately, there isn't really an Android form factor for a tablet to compare it against because it, I wouldn't like to see it on a phone. Okay, this episode is sponsored by CBT Nuggets, training for IT professionals or anyone looking to build IT skills. Go to cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux and sign up for a seven day free trial. The on-demand virtual labs mean you can build practical experience with the commands, config, scripts, and everything you need to get the most out of each course. Another standout feature is the accountability coaching service available to all learners with a subscription, which gives you access to a real person who will help you craft a personalized learning plan and set goals and will check in with you to keep you accountable. So start your free seven-day trial today at cbtnuggets.com slash late-night-linux. It includes unlimited access to all course materials, including virtual labs. That's cbtnuggets.com slash late-night-linux. There was an interesting piece on the register about Chrome OS, and it's titled, 10 years later, Chrome OS starts to look like a proper OS with hardware diagnostics and the ability to scan documents. Albeit, not if you've got my scanner, then it doesn't fucking work. But the point remains that here we are roughly 10 years on from the birth of Chrome OS, and it is a proper, fully-fledged OS that's based on Linux. It's not a distro because it's not properly distributed, but it is arguably desktop Linux and a proper, full experience now. And it does look like a proper operating system now. It's not Linux. <laughs> well, it literally is Linux. It's not GNU slash Linux, although it kind of is because it's basically Gentoo, isn't it? It does nothing to help Linux. That's what I mean by that. Does it not, though? Like, my scanner, for example, doesn't work with this. Now, you're supposed to be able to scan. Oh, so that's why you think it's Linux. Okay, <laughs> now it makes sense. <laughs> now, maybe someone with my scanner will complain it'll get fixed and then the rest of us will benefit and I'll be able to use it on proper Linux distros. Yeah, but what what are they using to do the scanning though? Is it going to be something that'll actually find its way in a distribution or is it some sort of magic that's only going to be in Chrome OS? Well, I know why it doesn't work. It needs a firmware blob. And I know how to, in theory, make that work on proper Linux, like Ubuntu or whatever. 
But maybe that firmware blob will make its way into Chrome OS because it's more proprietary. I, I don't know, but there surely could be benefits from all these people using a Linux-based operating system. Or are you just going to argue it's like Android and it's just so far away from proper Linux that it doesn't count? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I don't, I don't honestly see how it's going to help because the devices that it's going to run on are not really Linux laptops anyway. So it's not like the drivers get improved in general. The fact that Android runs on the most mobile phones in the world doesn't help any of the devices I have because none of them have the same chipset as each other and no Android devices either. And I doubt any of these Chromebooks bear any resemblance to any laptops that we could possibly use them on. Well, they do. They're basically Intel chipsets, aren't they? So they could. And as for phones, well, your very phone is supported by Ubuntu Touch, mostly because of all the Android shit. Yeah, maybe, but I'm not entirely convinced, to be quite honest. I think it's a self-serving thing that just happens to maybe the Venn diagram touches off each other, but more it's a tangent, not an actual group. Is this not, though, a parallel universe where Linux succeeded on the desktop? But surely it depends on what you think Linux means to you, or what it does for people. Chromebooks don't do anything for people, they do things for Google, who can then (laughs) harvest all of their information. You know, I'm having real deja vu with this conversation. <laughs> but is this not just the way Linux is going as a kernel? And like we talked about with the WSL stuff, like that's how things are going. There's no point burying your head and saying, no, fuck that, not interested. I'm just going to keep using KDE Neon or whatever. That's exactly what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to buy loads of gear right now so all you bastards don't go and ruin it on me. There'll be no general purpose CPUs left and I'm going to fucking sit in me bunker with my gear and it's going to be great. Yeah, and in 10 years when we're all using a Fuchsia-based Chrome OS or whatever, you'll just be totally left behind because you're burying your head, man. Good. Right, well, fine. Let's do a quick KDE corner then. And the first one is a Plasma 5.22 video. Yeah, uh, there was an article out for 5.22. Obviously came out about two weeks ago almost at this point. And there's a cool promo video by the team there uh, with some pretty good music and displaying some of the new features that came out with the new version. And it's well worth a watch. Yeah, it's only two minutes of your life. Might encourage you to use it. (laughs) You never know. And uh, bug triaging needed. So Nate was on his usual posts and he had one about one of the most important things that we need to keep people going in KDE and at pretty much all open source projects. And that was decent bug triage. Um, obviously not a very glamorous, glorious role or anything, but he would say he had five points that he said that he thinks is really important. So you users feel that you're kind of listening to them, stops regressions happening and uh, unactionable bug reports that just pile up and it stops the duplicates showing up too, and, you know, can get rid of the easy-to-fix stuff that really frustrates people when they see something that, why is this not fixed yet? So if you have time and would like to help out, I think any Frost project, not just KDE, would really appreciate it. All right, and Academy is happening right now then? Yeah, so the main talks were over the weekend from Friday to Sunday, and the buffs are going on, which uh, the Bird of a Feather sessions uh, are going on at the moment for the rest of this week. Uh, the team will have videos up for it. Uh, I would check out the KD community video on uh, YouTube. And th- there's been some good stuff. I haven't had much time to follow all of it, but Alish has had some stuff about all the apps. 
uh, Nicolo has had some stuff about the consistency that we have throughout the whole of KDE and then Wayland was covered by Maven and Vlad and there's loads more stuff there but they also did some finance stuff as well which shows a sort of healthy growth with a few nice big lump sums in KDE and the fact that they've said that they're actually spending more on contractor work as well so obviously to help out people can contribute as always which would be appreciated I would say. Okay, and this next one looks like some sort of Reddit link. What's going on? Yeah, I saw this today. So somebody was following along. I don't know. Who, I don't know the user's name, but the username is whale underscore ch. Maybe it's a KD Devev. I'm not sure, but they've created a couple of these, uh, like the old style uh, keyboard shortcut diagrams, and I just thought they were really good. One for uh, Dolphin Plasma, and then uh, some tooltips for K Runner as well. Quite nice, a bit like the ones that you guys had in the Linux voice uh, back page. Yeah, the back page. Oh, I yeah. thought they were really yeah. good. So, and I, I used to remember from when playing games back in the day, you'd have to cut out the keyboard so you could overlay it on top and stuff. Yeah, I should make some stickers for this that you could actually stick onto your uh, keyboard. Yeah. And what's this Dart and Flutter support for Kate? Well, yeah, I thought it was interesting the fact that Google was pushing Dart and then Ubuntu's also kind of gone in. Uh, well, at least now you have a GUI dev tool that can support the language just as much as well so uh, that's quite good the lsp um is really handy for doing i use it for python so you can do code checking and you know simple bug checks and static analysis while you're while you're developing and uh, now they have it for dart as well so that's quite good right well links to all that in the show notes then we'd better get out of here but join us next week when we'll be having the exciting discussion of Rebecca Black OS, <laughs> among other things. Will we do it on a Friday or Tuesday or what is it? <laughs> I think we'd better do it on a Friday. No, it's going to be on a Monday. Anyway, until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later. <laughs>